Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2, perhaps in your home this morning you've already looked at this passage of Scripture, the gospel account of the birth of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The angel said to the shepherds in verse 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Just a few moments ago, the choir sang the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. It's a wonderful hymn written by Isaac Watts in the early 1700s. Describing the joy of the coming of Jesus Christ. The the song that we sing today is based on Mr. Watts' interpretation of Psalm 98, which speaks about how the fields and the hills will clap and rejoice at the coming of the King of Kings. Certainly, when the angels came, they made a declaration that they were speaking about something that would bring great joy to man. As you've been walking through the stores and other places at this season of the year, no doubt you've heard the songwriter crooning, it's the most wonderful time of the year. 
And for some people, it is the most wonderful time of the year. But the truth is, this morning, that's unlikely to be true for many, many people. Many people, actually, during this season of the year, have great sorrow and difficulty and even suffer depression and discouragement because of whatever circumstance that is going on in their life. You see, if our only hope for joy is the spirit of the season, the lights, the gifts, getting together with family and eating food and all the other things that we tend to associate with Christmas and this season of the year, then there are a lot of people in this world who will experience only heaviness and sorrow at this time and not joy. When Isaac Watts wrote that great hymn, Joy to the World... What he meant to express is that the joy that God's people feel or the rejoicing that we can experience is not something that is based upon the circumstances of life. It is something that is based on the coming of Jesus Christ and the intention of his coming to this world. Here the shepherds were told by the angel that what they were receiving was good tidings of great joy, and thank the Lord for this, which shall be to all people. None of us are excluded from this good news. This morning, we want to take just a few moments to declare to you that the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ, His incarnation, God coming to this earth to be with us and among us and to die for us, truly is the occasion for great joy. Now, you'll notice in our text that we just read in Luke chapter 2 a little bit about the condition of the world. And I mentioned to you that joy really cannot be settled or based upon the circumstances of life or the, the things that are going on in the world. Because I don't know if you got up this morning and read the news. Maybe you didn't because you didn't want to ruin Christmas. But if you got up and looked at the headlines this morning... There's just as much trouble in the world today as there was a week ago. There's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of things that are going on in this world now which are causing people to be discouraged. And truthfully, this morning, many people feel weighed down by these circumstances. And actually, we can get this perspective like, it's never been this bad before. All the previous generations have had such a wonderful life, and we have all of these burdens. Well, I want to remind you about the condition of the world that Jesus entered into 2,000 years ago. It was a mess. The, The text that we just read alludes to some of the things that were going on. In the first couple of verses, it says that Caesar Augustus had made a decree that everyone was to go to their own town and be taxed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy tax season. If I had to travel a long distance, perhaps a couple of days worth of traveling to get to the place to pay my taxes, I would be even less enthusiastic about tax season. Here's Joseph and Mary, and they are being commanded by the one who is in charge of the world at that time, the Roman Caesar, that they are going to need to travel from from Galilee down to Bethlehem, which was a significant journey, and they were to pay a tax there. And this really 
indicate some of the political problems that were going on in the world when Jesus was born. The Roman Empire at that time had taken over most of the known world. And the Jewish people were living under their oppressive and occupying presence. They were not at all excited about having an occupying army in their land. In addition to this, within the, the, the country of Israel itself, there was a lot of political wrangling that was going on between the different political religious groups of that day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and the others who were trying to get their position and trying to exert their influence and, and, and trying to have their way in society. Does any of that sound familiar to you? So there were a lot of political problems. In fact, these political problems were so severe that many people were just completely disgusted with everything to do with the political process. This was the world that Jesus came into. There were many societal problems as well. These societal problems would be borne out in the ministry of Jesus Christ as he ministered to people who sat in darkness and who needed to see a great light. And Jesus would minister to people with all sorts of problems that they, that they were dealing with. There was a prevailing spirit in the country of resentment against the Roman Empire. There was rampant disease. Many people were very sick and there were no solutions or very few solutions to help them with their, uh, with their disease problems. They could not look at the future without losing hope. And there seemed to be only darkness and hopelessness. Many societal problems. We read about how Jesus would encounter over and over again people who were possessed by devils and who were abused by those demonic forces. So certainly people were experiencing political problems and societal problems. We know also that there were economic problems that were going on. Joseph and Mary, who are indicated here in the text, they themselves were people of poverty, people who didn't have much in the way of this world. We might describe them, if we were to use our vernacular, they didn't have two pennies to rub together. They were poor people. Here they were being asked to come and pay a tax, to travel to pay that tax, but it's clear that they were people not of means, but people who had a meager existence, and they were representative of many people in their society. Crippling poverty afflicted many who were in that society of Israel. This was the world that Jesus came into. By the way, when Jesus came, he came as the king of heaven, but he was seen as the poorest of men. He said about himself, as I was reading this morning, that he did not even have a place to lay his head. Many people suffered these kinds of economic problems. And you say, all of these problems, what was going on, and why was the world this way, and why is the world the way that it is today? One word. Sin. Sin. We can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, and then all of the problems that come as a result of sin that have come upon the human race, that engulf our world today. This was the kind of world that Jesus entered. And I want you to understand that that world was just as troubled as our world is today. In fact, to the shepherds, though the message was coming from angelic messengers and was accompanied by the glorious light of the glory of God... 
There must have been an element to this message which made them wonder, what joy? What do you mean, rejoice, good tidings? Now, of course, the perspective that they were given by the angel would provide them with joy. But I want you to understand this morning that joy is not contingent upon good conditions. We don't need to, in order to have joy, we don't need to build the economy up and get the right people in power and get rid of all societal problems and eliminate disease and exalt education and get people to a socioeconomic status so that they can thrive better. And then finally we could have joy. Because if that's the source of our joy, we never will have joy. The condition of the world today is much like the condition of the world when Jesus came. But then the, the source of joy that the angel mentions as he's making this announcement to the shepherds is centered around the coming or the birth of this one who would be the Savior, Christ the Lord. And so we see not only the condition of the world, but we see the coming of the Savior. Now, you'll notice some things which are indicated in our text about the coming of the Savior, the event that we remember on Christmas Day, and we think about the fact that Christ came into this world. There's several things that are mentioned here in the passage. First of all, it was a humble coming. Everything about the coming of Jesus into this world indicates humility and lowliness. Even the announcement that was made by the angels... It was made to the shepherds. The shepherds were not exactly the upper class. They were not the the high-income people in town. They they were not the, the people who were the ruling class, the shepherds. They were just ordinary, work-a-day men who took care of sheep and provided for the basic needs of the people. And they were the ones who received the announcement that Christ had come. One would think that the creator of the world, the king of the ages, when he came, would come to fanfare, perhaps a trumpet choir, a group of, of, of people that would accompany him everywhere that he went, meeting all of his needs and singing his praises and commanding people to bow down. We would expect that he would come to a prepared palace, to a royal reception, But this was not the case with Jesus. Instead, he was born to a couple of modest means. They didn't even have a proper place to stay and for Mary to give birth to this baby. And so when he was born, he was wrapped up in in cloths, long cloths, and he was laid in a feeding trough in a barn. And that's where the shepherds were told that they could find him. It doesn't seem much like what we would expect for the coming of the King of Kings. Not only that, after he was born in Bethlehem, eventually Jesus would be raised in the city of Nazareth. We shouldn't even call it a city. It was nothing more than a small village, a crossroads on the the highway. And it was a place that was looked at with disdain by most everyone who lived in Israel. Later, when Nathanael heard that Jesus had come from Nazareth, he would ask the question, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Because everybody thought of Nazareth as 
That's where all the hillbillies are from. That's the, that's, the, that's the place that's forsaken. That's a place that's forgotten. That has nothing to do with biblical history or prophecy. What is so, what is so big about Nazareth? And this is where Jesus came. See, he had a humble coming. But not only was it a humble coming, it was also a prophesied coming. Look in verse 11. The scripture says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Now, everything that the angel said to the shepherds in verse 11 is indicative of Old Testament prophecy. It's all pointing to the fact that Jesus' coming had been anticipated and predicted by the prophets, and these prophets spoke for God. They spoke for God to people who were bound in sin and broken by the consequences of sin, And for generations, the prophets had said, there is someone coming who's going to give hope. There's someone coming who's going to give light and joy. And the people were anticipating this coming of the Messiah, of the Christ, the anointed chosen one. Clearly, the angel says to the shepherds in verse 11, this baby who's been born is Christ the Lord. He's the one that you've been waiting for. He's the one that's been prophesied. But I'll tell you this morning that if the angel had not told them exactly where to look and what to look for, no one would have ever known. Because it seemed so ordinary and average. It seemed just like another poor young woman, another young couple had a baby out in the barn. I wonder what will come from the life of this little one. But little could anyone imagine that this was the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy. The promises of God fulfilled in a barn through a baby that was laid in a manger. It was a humble coming and it was a prophesied coming, but it was also an announced coming. And we see here in Luke chapter 2 that clearly God had a purpose in the, in the shepherds receiving this message. There's all kinds of, of picturesque meaning as we think about the purpose of Jesus and how later on when he became a man, he would be referred to as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And how interesting it is that the angels first declared to shepherds that the Messiah had come. It was declared and announced so that there could be no mistake about the fact that the Savior had been born. God made it abundantly clear that Jesus was the Christ. And yet, think with me for just a moment about how many people missed the significance of what was taking place. How many people looked at Jesus even later and thought, he can't be the one. There's no way that he's the son of God. Even when he would do miracles, and he would show the great power of God, the religious leaders still dismissed Jesus, and said, no, he's not what we were expecting. He's not the one. The reason for this announcement was so that those with tender hearts, those who were seeking the Messiah, would know the Messiah has come. By the way, it's the same today. 
Today, we talk about the fact that Jesus has come, that salvation is available through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And there are some people who are caught by that message who say, I want to follow Jesus Christ and I'll believe on him and I'll be a follower of Christ. And there are many others who say, ah, come on, we've been hearing about that so long. What kind of hope does that give? What kind of joy could possibly come from a message like that? And really, it has everything to do with your response to that message. It was an announced coming. By the way, the shepherds were excited about this announcement. Immediately, the Bible says they went to find the Lord Jesus, and they found him just like the angels had said. He was exactly where the angels had told them, and they came, and they saw him, and they realized that what God had said was true. It was an announced coming. I'm thankful, by the way, today that this announcement is recorded in Scripture for your benefit and mine. So we can also know, we weren't there like the shepherds were to see the angel and to hear the voice from heaven declaring that the Messiah had come, but we read it in Scripture and we can also rejoice and be excited about the fact that a Savior has come. It was a humble coming and a prophesied coming. It was an announced coming, but it was also a glorious coming. Glorious in a different way. When we think of glorious, we think... Ah, everybody's going to sit up and take notice. But you do see that the angel made this declaration about the arrival of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now think about that announcement for just a moment. Glory to God in the highest. What we find as we take a few moments to examine the life of Jesus Christ is that everything about Jesus, from his birth, to his ministry, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection from the dead, all of it went to the glory of God. Everything that he did was done for the glory of God the Father. Everything pointed to the purpose of God for man. Everything exalted and lifted up God the Father, and drew men's attention to the fact that God is worthy of worship. So his purpose, and he said this over and over and over again during his ministry, his purpose was to bring glory to the Father. And in this way, his coming was a glorious coming. It was also a glorious coming because in his coming, Jesus Christ provides peace on earth. And communicates good will toward men. You say, wait a second, pastor. There's no peace on earth. There's wars and rumors of wars. People are struggling with one another, even in relationships. People can't seem to get along. I don't understand what's going on. What do you mean, peace on earth? Well, we know the day is coming when Jesus will bring complete peace on earth. That day is still in the future. But what the angel is expressing here is not only God's ultimate purpose for the coming of Jesus, but he's describing God's personal purpose for each and every one of us. Because the truth is, we can experience peace on earth 
we can receive goodwill toward man. God's expression of his love and his goodwill towards man is Jesus Christ. As you exchange gifts, if you do that on Christmas Day, I hope that you'll remember that the greatest gift that was ever given came from God to man and is an expression of his love for us and his desire for us to be reconciled to him. This is a significant gift because we are undeserving of this gift. We are deserving of God's judgment because of our sin against God, but God commendeth his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The message of Christmas and the coming of Jesus is that God will receive great glory. And certainly he does when man is reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. His coming was a glorious coming. But then I want to draw your attention to something down in verse 19. And we'll wrap up the message this morning with this. I want you to see something about the consideration about the Savior. It says something very interesting in verse 19. After all of this happened, the Bible says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, last night we thought about Joseph and what an interesting fellow he was and his willingness to lay everything on the line to obey God and be a part of this story of the coming of Christ into the world. But now I want you to think for just a moment about Mary. Mary had been told that she was going to have a child and that this child was going to be a miraculous conception. This was going to be a miracle of God and the child that she was going to give birth to would be the son of God, the one who had been prophesied. When she heard this news, she was overwhelmed and she gave great glory and praise and honor to God. You can find that in Luke chapter 1. It's often referred to as the Magnificat, the song that Mary sang in praise to God because she would be chosen to fulfill such a glorious role and give birth to the Messiah. But now after all of this has happened, after the baby has been born, after the shepherds have come and communicated what was said to them by the angels, the Bible says that Mary pondered these things. She kept these things in her heart and she thought about them. There was a lot to think about, a lot to try to comprehend, and a lot to understand. There's a lot about Christmas that gets missed. It's like when you have a lot of people opening presents, like happens at our house, and wrapping paper is everywhere. <laughs> Sounds like some of you know what I mean. And I'm, I'm thinking, there's gifts in there mixed in with the paper. Do any of you dads feel the same way? All right, so I, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I'm wondering how many of you dads, please do not raise your hand and give yourself away, but I'm wondering how many of you dads have the trash bag and you're picking up the paper to make sure that the gifts don't get mixed up and accidentally thrown away later. 
Now just think about this. How much of the true meaning of Christmas and the true value of the coming of Jesus Christ to this world gets lost in all of the wrapping paper, all of the extraneous stuff that gets associated with Christmas, all these other things, and in the busyness around all of these things, we miss the fact that the Savior has come. That salvation is available, that that there is forgiveness for sins that is offered to us, that through Jesus Christ we can be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Him, that our sins can be forgiven if we'll only obey the gospel. Beware this morning of missing the meaning of Christ's coming to this earth. Beware of missing what Christmas is really all about. I hope today that you'll take some time like Mary to ponder, to keep some things in your heart and to think about the coming of the Savior. For instance, this morning, do you believe that Jesus is God the Son, the eternal God who came to earth as a man? Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says He is. Do you believe this morning that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life? That's what the Bible says he did. Do you believe that Jesus did many miraculous signs demonstrating his divine power and revealing the loving purpose for which he was sent? That's what the Bible says he did. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for man's sin? taking the righteous judgment of God the Father for the rebellion of every one of us upon Himself? That's exactly what the Bible says that He did. Do you believe that Jesus was buried and His body was in the tomb for three days? That's what the Scriptures say. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and demonstrated His power over sin, death, and hell? The Scripture says that He did. Do you believe that He did all of this for you? Because that's what the Scripture says He did. This morning, as you think about Jesus and His coming to this earth, as you ponder the purpose of the incarnation, God becoming man so that He could die for our sins, Think about that powerful truth that He did all this for you. He did all of this for me. Praise God for the great gift, the unspeakable gift, as it's called in the Scriptures, that God gave to man. And this morning, my question for you is this. In light of these things, what will you do with Jesus? You see, the good news, the gospel says that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for our sins and according to the scriptures. The Bible also says that you and I have an obligation to obey the gospel. Now, how do you obey good news? Well, quite simply, the scripture says that you need to recognize that the good news is for you. You're in need of good news because you're a sinner 
you've broken God's law, you are at enmity against God, and your relationship with God has been severed because of your own rebellion against Him. And yet Jesus Christ has taken your place. His death on the cross paid the full penalty of your sins so that you could be forgiven by God the Father. To obey the gospel means that you stop trying to save yourself and you stop trying to live your own life. You surrender to Him and by faith you take Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. You put your confidence and your hope in Him and you trust that His sacrifice is sufficient for your sins to be forgiven and for you to have a real relationship with God. And that's an eternal relationship, by the way. And that, that message will bring joy to the world. Because whatever economic problems, political problems, societal problems, sickness problems that we may face, all of those things are just temporary. But relationship with God, that's forever. That's for all of eternity. And because of this good news, you and I today, even in a world that is broken by the consequences of sin, can truly sing, joy to the world. The Lord is come. He's worthy of our worship and our praise.